Hello and welcome to Alchemy Radio, where the only thing we ask of you is that you keep an open mind. Today's guest is James Russell. James is a filmmaker and co-director and producer of Resonance, Beings of Frequency. This spectacular documentary uncovers for the very first time the actual mechanisms by which mobile phone technology can cause cancer and how every single one of us is reacting to the biggest change in environment this planet has ever seen. Two billion years ago, life first arrived on this planet, a planet which was filled with a natural frequency. As life slowly evolved, it did so surrounded by this frequency, and inevitably it began tuning in. By the time mankind arrived on Earth, an incredible relationship had been struck, a relationship that science is just beginning to comprehend. Research is showing that being exposed to this frequency is absolutely integral to us. It controls our mental and physical health, it synchronizes our circadian rhythms, and it aids our immune system and improves our general sense of well-being. Not only are we surrounded by natural frequencies, our bodies are filled with them too. Our cells communicate using electromagnetic frequencies, our brains emit a constant stream of frequencies, and our DNA delivers instructions using frequency waves. Without them, we couldn't exist for more than a second. This delicate balance has taken billions of years to perfect, but over the last 25 years, the harmony has been disturbed and disturbed dramatically. Mankind has submerged itself in an ocean of artificial frequencies. They're all around us, filling the air and drowning out the Earth's natural resonance. To the naked eye, the planet appears to be the same, but at a cellular level, it's the biggest change that life on Earth has endured, the effects of which we are just beginning to see and feel. James Russell, you're very welcome to Alchemy Radio. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, it's great to have you on the show. I've been extremely, uh, well, blown away is probably the word, by your, by your movie Resonance, Beings of Frequency, and that's what we're going to talk about. But before we do, give us a bit of background information, I suppose, how you got from where you were as a youngster to where you are now. Oh, wow. Okay, that's a journey. Um, I've lived uh, quite a, a, an unusual and unique life. I spent, uh, I spent two years living on an island in Indonesia, owning a bar on an island called Gilutruangan. Wow. I've... I've Travelled around Australia. I, I spent many, many years working on cruise ships, and uh, that's where I met my wife. We've been together for the best part of eleven years now, and we moved back to the UK. And I, I'd always wanted to, to to make film, but I think if you kind of miss that opportunity at school, you almost think that you know it's kind of passed you by a little bit, and you've missed the you've missed the bus, so to speak. But I guess fate sort of got in the way. One thing led to another. I ended up working uh, uh, working on a shopping channel. Yep. And then uh, bumped into somebody who was going to help me make a showreel. And we just had, um, we just had a passion for documentaries and, and for investigative documentaries. And, you know, for, for kind of the world that you don't really get to see, that, that's not really your mainstream media. And we were just really both really passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And just kind of set about initially making just little films and little pilots. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew and grew. And we ended up setting our own production company up at Elstree Studios. That's Flatrog. Yeah, well, it's, it was Patient Zero Productions we set up initially. Um, John, my business partner, he really loves movies. He really loves making films. So he wants to concentrate on making films and I want to concentrate on making documentaries. And whenever I'm making a documentary, we both come together and that's how we proceed and we make the film that way. 
Fantastic. So obviously you've uh, you've a slightly alternative worldview in so far yeah. as it's not it's not mainstream. You've mentioned that. Was that in any way shaped by your experience on the island? I'm intrigued by that, James. Yeah, do you know what? It was um, it was just such a weird and unusual experience because it's just it, it's almost a, a miniaturized perspective of life. But um, this island that I lived on, there was no police on this island. There was no authority on there. Um, it was just a, a, a mixture of people from all around the world. And weirdly, there was just no crime. There was nobody stole anything. Nobody did anything. It was it was just it was just this weird little utopia where everybody got on. And looking back on it in hindsight, it, it was it it was it was spectacular. It was just so beautiful and perfect. You know, it, it sounds like you're making it up, like something from a film. Mm-hmm. But people just generally got, just got on, and it, it's when you come back into society that we're living today, that we're surrounded by so much technology, and we're surrounded by so much information, and have access to so much information. You kind of, I almost think that we've forgotten how long we've been on this planet. Mm-hmm. You know, living on that little island, nobody watched telly, no one listened to, you know, the, the, the radio. People just sat down and spoke with each other. And people were almost at harmony in the environment that they lived in. You know, they didn't want to destroy it. They wanted to preserve it. And I think that's been the case for not just hundreds of years, but for tens of thousands of years. You know, we've walked on this planet for such a long time. And all of a sudden, we seem to have almost forgotten how we've evolved and the reason why we're here and, 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 you know, the connection that we've developed to this planet over such a long period of time. So I, I think that was almost... I reflect on that time quite a lot and kind of try and bring it into what I'm doing today. And that's truly fascinating because in a society where we are, authoritarian society, I suppose one could call it, where we're surrounded by surveillance and uh, people who are always telling us what to do and that it's for our own good. So, for example, if we didn't have so many police and so many um, military troops, well, we'd have complete anarchy. But what your experience of that is is entirely the opposite. And it's something that I've always suspected. And so many guests on this show would speak of that kind of almost utopian ideal that yeah. if, if the constraints of modern society were removed, well, things would revert to their natural course. And it must be truly amazing to have experienced that for such a long time firsthand. It was spectacular. Do you know what? It was spectacular. It was just people just get on. You know, people just generally just kind of get on. But I think in the society that we live in today, it's a multicultural society that we live in. Mm. But there's forced divisions that that, that are forced upon us. You know, even if, you know, they're subliminal or or, or subconscious, there are always divisions. It's this minority and this minority. And we have to have separate rules for this minority. And we have to have separate rules for us and for them. And it's just not the case. You know, it doesn't have to be that way you don't have to have these divisions within society if you let people get on we're all the same species people generally just get on with each other you know i think when you put all these restraints and rules and you're forced to respect this person all of a sudden you become so analytical yeah you you, you become so um aware of everything almost too aware of everything that anything you can say can be misconstrued or anything you can say can be seen in the in in the wrong light or in the wrong way that you're just treading on eggshells the whole time but if you take all of that away and it's just a group of people from the same planet people just get on with each other 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, that that's even obvious when you see, for example, a government makes an unpopular decision and you've so many people up in arms about it, uh, tens of thousands, millions in some cases, and, and people are kind of wondering why can't we just get along? And the thing is, we do get along when these constraints aren't put in our way and when people choose to ignore them as they do in certain parts of the world. And I think it's for their own betterment and for the greater good at times. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So fast forwarding into the real world in inverted commas <laughs> and technology and of course mobile phone technology and Wi-Fi and that kind of thing because that is the crux of resonance. Um, the, yeah. the, the film has been online and available for quite some time and doing really, really well. Tell us a bit about the background or what turned you on to the idea for the film initially. Do you know what? I was driving home. It was about um, really early, maybe two o'clock in the morning and I was listening to a talk radio show and there was a gentleman being interviewed, and he was talking about um, a disorder that he had called electrosensitivity. Yeah. And I'd never heard of this before, you know. And he was saying that he got sick around Wi-Fi, he got sick around mobile phones, and he got sick around um, electricity in general, but mostly mobile phones and Wi-Fi made him really ill to the point where he would bleed internally if he was around it for a period of time. And I thought, wow, okay, this guy is you know, absolutely potty. Yeah. I need to go and meet him. Because my wife for years <laughs> had been saying to me when we get into bed at night, oh, there's something plugged in, I can hear it, I can feel it. Yeah. So I thought, I've got to go and meet this guy. So I drive up to, um, uh, not far away from Nottingham, actually, and um, I go and meet this guy. And I'm expecting some tinfoil hat-wearing crackpot, you mm. know. And um, I go and meet him, and he's uh, the CEO of the biggest frozen food company in Europe. You know, he's running a multi-billion pound corporation and you just couldn't hope to meet a more rational, level-headed human being in your life. And initially, my idea was to, to make a film about him because he told me, look, th this isn't just me that gets sick around Wi-Fi. There are thousands and thousands of people that I meet that have the same problem, but they go to their doctor and they're told they're crazy. So people have this disorder and they're almost having to hide it away for fear of what society or for fear of what, you know, the authorities will think of them. People who are just generally just scared of being locked up for saying that they get sick around Wi-Fi. So I was like, well, this is fascinating. I need to make something about this. So um, initially I was just going to make maybe a short piece, maybe 10, 15 minutes, like a, a YouTube short film yeah. about people that had this disorder. But I have quite a weird linear analytical brain and I wanted to find out what the mechanism was, what was causing it, why he was getting sick. It's one thing saying I get sick around Wi-Fi, but what's making you get sick around Wi-Fi? Why are you getting ill? What's causing these horrendous headaches? What's making you bleed internally? So I started to investigate it and it was really just, oh, it was just going down the, the rabbit hole. It really was. The, the more I delved, the more I found out. And initially, people would say to me, look, there is not a single piece of scientific research, not a single piece of evidence that shows that, you know, man-made microwaves, as you will, in, in, in the environment can cause ill health. And they were right. They were absolutely right. There isn't a single piece. There are tens of thousands of pieces of research. Um, to be fair, a lot of them are so unbelievably difficult to read that they never make it to mainstream media. media. Yeah. You know, scientists write these papers for fellow scientists. They're not campaigners. They're not the people that go out there and trying to, 
you know, instigate a change in society. These are people that do the research and put it out there. It's up to us to interpret that research. And generally, 99% of the time of the papers that are done and the research that's, that's done, it's just kind of ignored. So I started reading all of this stuff and my head almost exploded, you know. I read nearly 400, maybe more than that, maybe 450 science papers in making the film. Wow, it doesn't, doesn't exactly sound like light bedtime reading. No, no, I've got to be honest with you, I'm not a science guy, you know. Um, I love science now. Uh, I think I've got a D in science at school. And the problem was you read one paper and it's like, that makes absolutely no sense. It's like reading VCR instructions in Chinese. It makes absolutely <laughs> no sense whatsoever. So you end up reading five papers in order to understand that one single paper. So no, absolutely not like bedtime reading in any way at all. So how did you find your trawl through that initially? I mean, obviously it was difficult, but you came out the other end. So uh, tell yeah. us a little bit about how you uncovered what you uncovered and what that journey was like. Do you know, it was, um, it was putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And the more I researched, the more I spoke to people, the more I interviewed people and scientists from literally all around the world, you know, from Switzerland, from Sweden, from Canada, from America, from Australia. I'd speak to all of these people, I'd Skype them, I'd phone them, I'd email them and we'd communicate. And it was building up the picture of the puzzle and putting all of these pieces together and, and, and lining it all up mm. until we got a clearer picture of exactly what it was. And we tried to, because it's so convoluted and it's so complicated and so complex, my worry was that if we make a film about this, that just nobody's going to understand it. So it was trying to put it into layman's terms. And also at the same time, try and make it interesting so people will watch it and entertaining enough so people will carry on watching it the whole way throughout and ultimately allow them to walk away without feeling like their head's going to explode but feel like they've gained some information and knowledge from it. Well, I can say having seen the documentary several times, I do feel after watching it that my head will explode but not, <laughs> not for the reasons that you might be intimating there because yeah. some of the knowledge that you've brought to light in the documentary is mind-blowing. It's staggering stuff. Tell us a bit about it. Well, the, the thing to start off with, the thing to bear in mind is if we rewind 25 years, nobody had mobile phones. Less than 3% of us had a mobile phone. Mm. Nobody had internet let alone Wi-Fi. Nobody had a cordless phone. Nobody had a wireless printer. Nobody had baby monitors. Fast forward to today, five billion of us own a mobile phone. And to support those mobile phones, there are millions and millions of mobile phone masts. We almost all have Wi-Fi. We almost all have a cordless phone. We almost all have wireless technology. Now, the way that this technology works, although we can't see it, um, it communicates via a low-frequency electromagnetic wave called a microwave, mm. okay? And this is throughout our environment now. The former radiolog radiological board suggested that the electromagnetic environment, if you will, has increased a million times a million times, 12 to the power of 10, a million times a million times over the last 25 years. And this is a huge, huge exponential increase in electromagnetic pollution in the environment. Now, we can't see it, we can't smell it, we can't touch it, we can't feel it, we can't taste it, but it's there, it's all around us continuously, constantly. If we could see it, I think we'd be a lot more proactive about doing something about it, but we can't. We just assume, because you can't see it, that it's not there. But it absolutely is. And the, what the film starts off at looking at is not the man-made frequencies, but the natural frequencies of the earth. And I think this is what blows people's minds a little bit is when we talk about Schumann resonance. Yeah. Um, 
about 50-odd years ago, uh, Hans Berger, Winifred Otto Schumann, their, their research came together and they discovered an amazing little piece of the puzzle that, that kind of has been dismissed as being holistic, but there's some amazing research that has backed up their discovery. That a sphere within a sphere, a basic principle of physics, a sphere within a sphere will create electrical tension that we see as lightning, okay, that, that's discharged in the environment. Now, that creates a frequency, and that frequency is pretty, pretty constant. It's around the 7.83 hertz. Now, incredibly, the alpha wave of the human brain, which was recorded initially by Hans Bergen some 50, 60 years ago, is the exact same frequency, 7.83 hertz. And that's an incredible coincidence that the frequency of the planet is the same frequency of the alpha waves of the human brain. What does that part of the human brain control when it controls our creativity? It controls our productivity. It controls our immune system. So we've tuned into this planet. So the question is, if we're removed from Schumann residence, what effect does that have? Yeah. Well, the research that we looked at in the film was done by a guy called Rudger Weaver, which spent 30 years um, in Germany with a bunker in the side of a hill. And he took students for six weeks at a time away from Schumann residence and noted what response they had. And their response was incredible. You know, it affected their health, their mental health. So what he did, he built a man-made um, electromagnetic pulse that would broadcast 7.83 hertz into this bunker. And what he discovered was literally as soon as he turned on the Schumann resonator, as soon as he broadcasted 7.83 hertz, all of their um, ill health disappeared, their headaches disappeared, their nausea disappeared. And they were restored to this sense of well-being. When he turned it off, their ill health would resume. And that's a pretty amazing discovery. And it shows something that we've known, you know, as, as human beings, as, as a species for tens of thousands of years, that we have an absolute measurable connection to this planet. Now, what's interesting is the people that record human resonance, they record it at Berkeley University. Uh, this is... Professors like Professor Ludwig that attempts to record human resonance. They can't record it in the city anymore. They can't gauge it in the cities because there's so much electromagnetic pollution from Wi-Fi, from mass, from mobile phones. They can't get a reading of it. They literally, the only place they can get a reading of it today, they have to go out to sea in order to measure human resonance. That's incredible. So essentially people who are living in cities such as that, it's akin to the experiment in the bunker and that's got to be affecting their health then. Well, yeah, if you look at, you know, if, if you look at, all disease over the last 50 years, if you look at it on a graph, it's increased so disproportionately to how population has increased. Mm. You know, our knowledge of cancer, our knowledge of disease is, is going through the roof. Yet the, the figures for cancer are escalating at an incredible rate, childhood leukemia, all sorts of diseases are just going through the roof. And the one thing that corresponds to this increase in disease is our increase of electromagnetic, man-made electromagnetic frequencies in the environment. It's staggering, and I, I often think, you mentioned it already, but because we can't necessarily see what's going on, a lot mm. of people will just assume there is nothing there. But, I mean, all people have to do is turn on an FM radio or any kind of radio, yeah. and they can tune into different channels. So frequencies are out there, but there's one word that really struck me. You mentioned microwave very early on, James. Yeah. To me, microwave reminds me of the microwave oven in the kitchen. Um, most people use one every single day. Yeah. Is it the same kind of thing? Because we use a microwave to heat things up. So are, are we talking about the same kind of microwaves that are used in a microwave oven? Because that can't be good. 
Do you know what? It's an interesting point, and it's exactly the same sort of thing. If you look at the electromagnetic spectrum, frequencies range from a, a billionth the size of an atom to literally the length of the universe. They are infinite. They are endless. Mm. Now, um, what you're talking about, a microwave, is what's called ionizing radiation. Now, an ionizing radiation is something that can heat things. It can heat water. It can heat tissue. And that's what's in your microwave. The frequency is so powerful, it causes the cells in your food to vibrate. That creates friction against each other. And that's what actually heats your food. That's how your microwave heats stuff. Okay. Now, interestingly enough, all of the guidelines that govern electromagnetic frequencies in our environment, the mobile phone mass, the Wi-Fi, everything, is based on that technology, that knowledge of ionizing radiation. Basically... If it doesn't cook you, it's fine. What's interesting that we found in the film when speaking to people called at ICNERP, and ICNERP is the governing, well, not the governing body, they're kind of a quango, really, that looks at all the research and then makes statements about their findings. Now, unfortunately, ICNERP's roots are in industry, so they always lean towards industry rather than leaning towards public health, and they're not really there to, to guide us on public health anyway. Yeah. But anyway, all, all of the guidelines from ICNERP are based on that research, that if it's non-ionizing, i.e. if it doesn't cook you, then it's fine. That's the, that's the levels that are accepted for all of this mobile phone, the 3G, the 4G technology, all of the wireless frequencies in our environment. If it doesn't cook you, if it doesn't heat your skin, it's fine. Now, maybe I'm being naive, but to me that seems utterly outrageous. It's crazy, isn't it? Well, interestingly enough, in the 1980s when they started building the mobile phone network, when they started putting up the masts, there was not a single piece of research that was done that examined the long-term health effects. There was not a single piece of research done, not one, not a single piece. If you release a pharmaceutical drug, you have to do endless studies, research, to make sure that that drug is safe mm. before it's released onto the market. They built this entire mobile phone network without doing a single piece of research to make sure there was no long-term effects or carcinogenic effects. Okay, None of the guidelines now... None of the ceiling limits that are set for mobile phone frequencies, for mass, for any of that, are based on long-term health effects. None of them. None of them look at, okay, well, if you hold a mobile phone next to your ear for 10 years, does it give you a brain tumor? If you live next door to a mast for 10 years, is there a long-term health effect? None of the guidelines are based on that whatsoever. They're all based on technology, knowledge that we know, which is ionizing radiation from your microwave. The subtitle of the film is Beings of Frequency, which is exactly what we are. Our bodies filled with frequencies and our cells communicate using electromagnetic frequencies. Absolutely. So there has to be a major knock-on effect. To me, it just seems so incredibly neglect that yeah. it, w without going into the realm of conspiracy, it must almost be deliberate, be it for profit or something else, I don't know, but it has to be deliberate that there was no research because it seems so patently obvious that the first thing you would do is check out what introducing new artificial frequencies into our yeah. electromagnetic environment would do to us as organic beings. Well, nobody knew, did they? Nobody knew 20 years ago that the mobile phone would be what it is today. Yeah. You know, it was seen in the 1980s as a gimmick, as, you know, a toy for rich people. Mobile phones were so ridiculously expensive. They were so unpredictable that nobody could have known that the mobile phone industry would be what it is today. And it's grown into a monster, into an absolute monster, into a beast of a thing. It's a multi-trillion dollar industry. You know, it's absolutely enormous. So now, interestingly enough, and this is the situation that we're in right now, is that Rather than having to show that it's safe, which is what you'd expect, yep. now it's having to show that it's dangerous. 
So we've already got this all around us. So nobody's looking to show, nobody's having to prove that it's safe. What we're having to do now is show that it's dangerous. Now, what, what we're seeing is, is that being exposed to these frequencies, it's not short term. You don't put a phone next to your ear and get cancer. Mm. But equally, you don't light a cigarette and get lung cancer. It's a carcinogen. It takes time for the effects of smoking to be seen. You know, you, you can smoke for 10, 15 years before you start to see an ill health effect. It's a long-term effect. It's a carcinogen. And this is what we're starting to see with the research now with mobile phones. Because we've been using them for 10, 15 years, we're starting to see an effect. And research is showing that. One of the biggest epidemiology studies ever conducted, one of the biggest independent epidemiology studies conducted, which was part of the Interphone study by Professor Lennart Hardell, showed that by using a mobile phone, you have an increased chance of developing a type of brain tumour called an astrocytoma. An astrocytoma is a brain tumour that is located, ironically, right next to the ear where the aerial of the mobile phone sits. Now, if you go back 20 years, this was the most obscure form of brain tumour that anybody had. You know, it was virtually unheard of. Yeah. Today, it's one of the most common. Wow, literally overnight. Incredible, absolutely, just absolutely incredible. I mean, if, uh, somebody says in the film that he believes we'll look back in 30, 40 years' time and shake our head in disbelief that we, we would put microwaves next to our brain and think that it was safe. And as people watch the, the, the documentary and go further into it, that becomes a more and more reasonable assertion because some of the, some of the evidence that you discovered, such as cancer clusters close to yeah. mobile phone masks, masks, are astonishing. Tell us about some of that and so, some of the actual... Well, it's beyond anecdotal evidence because you went out and you met people who were directly affected by this. What did you uncover? Do you know what? I, sp I spent a lot of time kind of, I started off in my local area around Hemel Hempstead in Hertfordshire and I'd go to where a local mast was. And I mean, this, is, this, is, this information is, is mind-blowing to, to so many people that it's just such new information. Nobody can believe that, that this could happen. So I'd go to where a mast was and I'd knock on people's doors and I'd say, hi, I'm James Russell, I'm making this film about mobile phone frequencies and ill health and, you know, you're living next door to a mast. Have you noticed any, any problems with it? Oh, no, no, it's been there, it's been there for ages. And then you get chatting to him and it's like, well, you know, my sister has breast cancer, I get these headaches, none of us can sleep and nobody puts two and two together. You know, there's a, there's a mast literally on a hill about half a mile from where I am. It's my local mobile phone mast. It's huge. You can see it from miles and miles away. Yeah. And there's a little, maybe 20, 25 houses that are located around it. Just about every door I knocked on, they suffered from insomnia. They struggled to sleep. You know, maybe half of the people that I spoke to had, had suffered some form of ill health, either um, melanomas, you know, gelomas, you know, just in, just absolutely incredible. And I thought, wow, well, maybe it's a coincidence. So I start to widen my search a little bit, and I start to find these cancer clusters that are located around mobile phone mass. People that are living around this mass and are getting ill, are getting sick, are getting nauseous, are getting headaches. You know, are getting benign lumps, are getting cancerous lumps, are getting breast tumours. It, it just absolutely incredible. The one that we show in the film, um, the, wanted to, the reason I wanted to show that one is because, um, first of all, Eileen is, you know, she's so articulate and she puts across her point so clearly. Mm. But it was publicised a little bit on the news. She featured a, a, a couple of times on, um, on Good Morning Television and stuff like that. So I thought it was the perfect example to show, really. 
And of the 18 people that lived around the mast, almost every single person developed one form of cancer or another. And how did people react to this? I mean, when it directly affected them and here was somebody for the first time presenting them with evidence that this could be something that they had never expected. Were they hostile or were they open to the information? Or what way were they? Kind of mixed. Um, most, To be honest with you, a lot of people would dismiss it. Would be Some people would be hostile. You know, how dare you come here and suggest that that mobile phone mast is making me sick? Yeah. You know, well, if I live next door to a mobile phone mast and I, my sister had uh, breast cancer, I'd, I'd want to know if that was a possibility so I could move or do something about it. So, yeah, it was a real mixture. I mean, it's such new information and it's such... I say sensational, but you know what? When you take a step back at it and you look at it, you go, well, is it really that sensational or is it kind of obvious and rational and logical? But yeah, it, it was such a mixed response from people and such a mixed reaction from people. I think over a period of time when the information has settled and the dust has settled, and you've had time to absorb all of the facts, because this, this is why I had to make the film. It's, it's just me standing here and telling you. It's, there's so much information and there's so many pictures of the puzzle that it's difficult to get across. But when people have watched the film, and I took my film out and I delivered it to people that, that live around the masts and all the people that I spoke to, I said, look, here it is, have a look and then come back to me. And yeah, I think people, when people have sat down and absorbed it a lot more, they're a lot more responsive to it and a lot more accepting to it. And you mentioned the obvious parallels between the situation we have now with mobile phone companies or any kind of technology companies with a vested interest in this wireless technology and yeah. the smoking industry. And what, I, what the question that I would wonder then is, are we faced with a situation where, I mean, everybody accepts that smoking is bad for us now, whereas they didn't 50 or 60 years ago and it was pushed as being something that was cool and, and yeah. good, good for you in some cases. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. And Doctors used to prescribe cigarettes. <laughs> incredible now when you think about it, but that brings us back to the quote for the film, how in 30 years' time we'll look back and think, how did we allow this to happen? But yeah. we are having it shoved down our throats on a daily basis that technology is so essential and we have to be mobile and we have to be wireless, this, that and the other. But there's yeah. one big, big difference. And that's, there is the element of choice when it comes to smoking. People can decide whether to smoke or not. We can't really escape these electromagnetic soups that no. we're exposed to at the moment. Do you know what? You're absolutely right, and you can't. Um, the story of smoking, if you look at that from the very beginning to present day, it took so long. I mean, now we accept, okay, smoking's bad. People know that smoking's bad. People still smoke. They started looking at research that connected smoking to lung cancer in the 1930s. It wasn't until 1964 that the Surgeon General's report came out, and it, pr it showed that Smoking gives you lung cancer. It increases your chance of heart disease, of all sorts of ill health. Um, for the seven days after that, the Surgeon General's announcement, smoking cigarette sales dropped by 70% wow. around the US. People just went, wow, okay, this is really bad. A week later, they went back to where they were. People carried on smoking. It wasn't until what the late 80s and 90s we started putting warnings on cigarette packets. It wasn't until just a few years ago we stopped people smoking in public. I mean, that's... 80 years since they, between looking at the research and going, hey, hang on a minute here, mm -hmm. this is making people sick. 80 years later, of all the hundreds of thousands of people that died from smoking, 80 years later, we finally have a situation where we go, okay, if you want to smoke, go outside and smoke. Don't smoke in here and make me ill. You know, my fear is that it's going to take this amount of time and that overwhelming amount of evidence and research in order for them to, to take the same stance with 
wireless technology that we've taken with cigarettes. And I suppose um, along with that, the worry is that because of the power, the financial clout that these huge companies have, they're, they're able to afford lobby groups who will lobby governments yeah. and they, they can bury so much information for so long and delay and frustrate all the while raking in profits uh, to the detriment of freedom of knowledge for people who would otherwise, in some cases, make informed yeah. decisions. Well, you're absolutely right. What's interesting is all of the telecoms companies, well, first of all, the telecom companies are absolutely aware of all of the, this research. We show research in the film that um, uh, T-Mobile paid for themselves. They commissioned. It was done in Russia, and it showed categorically that using a mobile phone increases your risk of developing a brain tumor. They buried it. They didn't release it. They didn't make it public. They absolutely buried it. And what all of the mobile phone companies have done and anyone that has a mobile phone, anyone that's listening to your show, if they want to know if this is you know, just a story or a fable, if they want to know if it's real, take out your safety guide of your mobile phone and go all the way to the back and have a look at what's called the SAR rating. This is the specific absorption rate. This basically is how much radiation you as a human being, your flesh absorbs from your mobile phone. And it will tell you right there in the tiniest font possible. I didn't know you could get a font this small. In the tiniest <laughs> font possible, it will tell you how far you should keep your mobile phone from your body at all times. In some cases, it's as much as an inch. It tells you to keep it away from the abdomen of pre pregnant women. It tells you to keep it away from the abdomen of teenagers. It tells you that you must use your mobile phone as described keeping it up to an inch away from your body. Try and make a phone call, keeping your phone an inch away from your ear. It's impossible. Now, this information is buried at the back of the safety guide. It's not there to protect its users. It's there to protect them from prosecution. It's not there to protect you. It's there to protect them. There was a case very recently in Italy where they successfully prosecuted a telecoms company because a gentleman developed a, a brain tumour. They presented all of the evidence in court and the court found that, yes, absolutely, the mobile phone did cause the brain tumour. So essentially we're looking at not just anecdotal precedents, but we're looking at legal precedent in that case. And presumably as time goes on, there will be more and more of this. If absolutely. Abs absolutely they will. You know, in the film, um, Andrew Goldworthy talks about, you know, the cancers that will arrive haven't arrived yet. And I think that's a really haunting statement that he makes. You know, this is a professor of physics, one of the most respected professors of physics yeah. in the UK. And he talks about, look, most of the cancers that are going to arrive, they haven't arrived yet. We haven't been using mobile phones for long enough. The telecoms companies are absolutely aware of this. This is why they're telling you to keep your phone away from your body at all times. Because when you stand in court in five years' time and say, hey, this is giving me a brain tumour, they can say, well, did you keep it an inch away from your body? Did you use a protective case? Did you minimise the amount of time you spend on a phone? We told you to do all of that stuff. It was right there in the safety guide. When you signed your contract, your, your uh, mobile phone contract, it says that you agree to abide by all of the safety conditions outlined in the safety guide. Did you do that? No. Well, it's not our fault. It's yours. You didn't use it as described. Wow. It's just amazing. And another amazing thing about it is, the wider implications for us. I mean, not just the direct use of a mobile phone up to your ear, but the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and most specifically, and you go into this in huge detail in the documentary, bees. Talk to me about bees, James. Well, we, we talk about this very much at the start of the film, and I became 
fascinated with bees. Bees are incredible. They are mind-blowing. They are the coolest creature in the world. They're so amazing. And they're so integral to us. Um, bees pollinate some 70% of the world's food crops. So everything that we enjoy eating in life, the fruit, the nuts, the berries, bees pollinate those crops. Without bees' pollination, those crops would die. Okay, So we'd lose 70% of our food crops. Now, a few years ago, um, something started happening to the bee colonies called CCD, Colony Collapse Disorder. And this just baffled everybody around the world because what would happen is bees would leave their hive and they wouldn't return. They just wouldn't return to their hive. They would just abandon the hive and nobody knew what happened. Nobody could understand why. People hypothesized as to why, but they showed geographical hypothesis. So, okay, well, they're using this pesticide in Texas. This is why they're not going back to the hive. Okay, but they're not using that pesticide in Kenya, and they've got the same problem there. They've got the same problem in the UK. They've got the same problem in France, in Spain, in Canada, in Australia. What's causing this all around the world? These bees not returning to the hive. In some places, they've recorded bee losses. Like 70% of the population of bees in some geographical areas have just absolutely disappeared. And it's terrifying stuff. I mean, we need bees. Everybody's heard about the statement that Einstein was fabled to have made where if the bees die, you know, we, we don't live for more than a couple of years. And, and that goes back to the, to, the, to the food crops. So this guy called Johan Kahn does this experiment where he takes a deck phone and a deck phone is your cordless mobile phone. And he puts it in four beehives and he has four beehives with no deck phone in it whatsoever. And he wants to see if the presence of a deck phone will have any effect on the bees returning to the hive. So he just puts it in the hive. The phone isn't ringing. There's nobody talking on the phone. It's not making a noise. It's just a silent deck phone that's on and broadcasting but sitting in the beehive. What he found was amazing. Even when he repeated the experiment, he got the same results. And that was... In the beehive, with no deck phones, the bees just returned normally, fine. They just came and went as they would ordinarily. In the hives that contained a deck phone, the bees would not go near it. They did not want to return to their hive. They, you know, they, they returned in, in such ununiform manner. And in order to understand that experiment, you need to understand how a deck phone works. A deck phone, the way that it speaks to the phone... The base of the phone emits microwaves, low-frequency electromagnetic waves. This is exactly the same way that a mobile phone mast communicates with a mobile phone. By having a cordless phone in your house, you've essentially got a miniature mast in your house that's broadcasting these microwaves. Mm. Now, how does, the bee, how does this affect the bee? Well, the way that bees navigate... They navigate by using the, electro, by using, sorry, the magnetic fields of the Earth. They... they find locations by, by using the magnetic fields of the Earth. But what they also have is a protein cell called a cryptochrome. And this cryptochrome cell is in all life. Okay, this protein cell is in all life. It's in fungus, it's in humans, it's in horses, it's in dogs. And this cryptochrome cell allows all life to sense magnetic fields. Okay, so we all have this magnetic sense. And in research that they've done, they've discovered that low-frequency electromagnetic waves that you get from mobile phones, that you get from mass, that you get from Wi-Fi, that you get from all of this stuff that's in our environment, can affect the bee's ability to navigate. It can affect... A bird's ability to migrate, it can affect a butterfly's ability to navigate. 
So what they discovered is that the bees are not only affected by deck foam, they're affected by the mobile phone masts. So the hypothesis is that all of this mobile phone technology that's in the environment, all of this microwaves, all of these masts, all of these frequencies that are being broadcasted are affecting the bees' ability to navigate. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I don't think people necessarily understand initially the implications of this because while they might listen to Einstein's quote, a lot of people, and certainly when I've spoken to people about this, the overwhelming reaction initially seems to be, but you're, yeah, bees. Yeah, we know they're important, but you can't. We just pollinate ourselves, but that's not the case. We really are in big, big trouble without the bees. And the evidence that you have pointed to and demonstrated and shown is, well, it's devastating for us also, you know. Yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. Without bees, we would live um, a very humble existence. We really would. All of the stuff that we like eating, we wouldn't be able to eat because if bees don't pollinate all of the fruit, the nuts, the berries, there isn't any fruit, nuts and berries. So we, leave a, we would live a very meagre existence, to say the least. So somebody listening now, James, and they've heard the doom and gloom and they're thinking, well, I mean, just looking around me, I use a mobile phone. Some people have two of them. There might be six or seven of them in the house, depending on how many people live there. They've got Wi-Fi. We cook all our food in a microwave. What can they do? Is there any solution to this? Is there any preventative or is it a case of people needing to cop on en masse and realise that this just can't go on for our own good? I think what it's a case of is we're not going to get rid of this technology. There's no way we're going to lose our mobile phones. We're just not. It's unfeasible, it's unpractical, it's impossible. But I think what people need to know is how to use it safely. If you understand the health effects, then you can understand and learn how to use it safely. And that's what we want to get across in the film, that, look, this technology isn't going to go away, but we want people to use it safely. For example, we have a petition that's, that's, that's doing really well at the minute that is trying to encourage mobile phone telecom companies, mobile phone manufacturers, to, instead of putting those health warnings at the back end of the safety manual, putting them on the front of the box, making them visible, mm. okay? If people should keep their mobile phone an inch away from their body at all times, make sure people know that they should keep their mobile phone an inch away from their body at all times. Don't hide it in the safety guide. Make it transparent. Make it visible. Allow people to use this technology safely. And I suppose any kind of warning should be for the benefit of the consumer rather than the Absolutely. benefit of the uh, the actual person selling the product, as is the case at the moment with the uh, the tiny <laughs> nondescript <laughs> font, you know. Did you go and have a look? Did you have a look in your safety guide? I did, and I found it there, and it said anywhere up to four centimetres for optimum health and safety. Something along those lines, anyway, but it was up to four centimetres. It was... Um, it was a little bit ambiguous, I must say. It, it didn't give any specifics, but the message was clear. <laughs> if you had a magnifying glass, at least, it was clear. It said, yeah. keep that phone away from your head. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And if they're, if they're telling us that, then we need to know that, okay? I, I think if you spoke to 1,000 people, 999 people wouldn't have read that safety guide. Who reads the safety guide of their mobile phone? It's like a bloke reading the instructions to a shelf in unit before <laughs> it's just not going to happen you know it's imp we're just not going to read it we, we we don't we just discard it we don't even look at it you know but if that information is necessary it should be on the packaging and how positive or how hopeful are you james that we can see 
the safe use or the advent of the safe use of this technology sometime even in our lifetime because we've mentioned the 80 years for smoking i mean that's not going to be any good for a lot of us do you think we have a, a good chance of making people aware of this and what kind of response have you got to the documentary the response has been incredible i've been speaking to um um, I've been speaking to various environmental committees. I've been speaking to delegates from the UN. I've been speaking for, to diplomats from countries all around Europe, all around the world, who are really keen to do something about this. I mean, people are starting to wake up to it now. You know, there is such an overwhelming amount of research. I could have made the film 20 hours long and just showed paper after paper after paper after paper after paper. You know, the research is just so unbelievably overwhelming. So, yeah, people are starting to wake up to it. People are starting to, starting to see it. You know, people are turning their Wi-Fi on when they need it and turning it off when they don't. You know, people are starting to put their mobile phone in their back pocket instead of their front pocket. People are cutting down on the mobile phone use or, or maybe trying to use speakerphone instead. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of people that are embracing it. But there are, you know, billions of people that aren't. Yeah, and it it often worries me I, when when I look at people and how they use their phones. Um, mm. I suppose, especially since I became aware of this knowledge. And personally speaking, mobile phones. While I've had one probably for the last ten years or so, even longer, I, I was always a little bit wary about about their use because, quite literally, I could feel the side of my head on a prolonged call heating up and yeah. I started to notice little bits and pieces with my ears my inner ear and a slight unbalance between the two after a particularly long phone call and stuff like that but when you see people who are using apps that for example they place under the pillow while they sleep to supposedly help them sleep better and to track their circadian rhythm and get things in harmony well on paper the apps might do that if you're sticking these frequencies under your head while you're meant to sleep that's going to cause devastation because the frequencies and the radiation is always there. It's not just necessarily when you're using the phone. And the documentary shows this. While there is an increased effect when, for example, you're connected to another person through the call or connected to the mast when you're calling somebody, it is there all the time. All the time. All the time. And this is the perception that, oh, well, I'm only exposed to it while I'm speaking on the phone. But your mobile phone is constantly um, communicating with the masts. Every minute or so, some mobile phones, every 30 seconds or so, it will try to find the local mast and it will communicate with that mast. Um, so, yeah, by having it by your bed, I mean, the amount of people that I've spoke to and said, look, you know, I know you're not sleeping well, um, try at night putting your phone on flight mode if it's next to your bed because most people use their phone as an alarm clock or they have these apps. Yeah. So instead of you know having it next to your bed, um, have it next to your bed, yeah, but have it on flight mode and see how much better you sleep and the, the quality of sleep that people get when you turn off your mobile phone, when you turn off your mask, is through the roof. And there's a very, very, very simple scientific explanation for that. And the research that's been done into this is so overwhelming, it's almost got to the point where it's unanimous and universally agreed, that it affects your melatonin. And this is a big part of the film, is melatonin. Um, people have been saying for years, well, how does a mobile phone cause cancer? Well, what we show in the film is that, look, it's not about causing cancer. It's about preventing your body from curing cancer. Every single day, your body will lose around half a billion cells through cell mitosis. Mm. You know, we start off as one single cell, and through cell mitosis, there's, there's dividing of cells. That cell will split and split and divide and divide and divide and create the organism. 
And throughout our entire lives, we lose those cells and we replace them with new cells. And this is something that happens at night. Cell mitosis happens only at night. Your body repairs itself when we sleep. In fact, this is the reason why we go to sleep, so your body can shut down. And through cell mitosis, all of the cells that, are, that have died, that are damaged, your body will replace them. Now, a byproduct of this, a byproduct of cell mitosis, is something that probably most people are familiar with, is a cell called the free radical cell. Now, a free radical cell has an extra electron, and it tries to latch onto healthy cells. Now, a free radical cell makes healthy cells unhealthy. Now, there's a world of research that's showing that free radicals aren't just connected to cancer. They're connected to pretty much every single disease. But our body's clever. You know, we are hundreds of thousands of years in the making. We've developed a perfect system in ourselves. Mm. We create these free radicals. But our brain, through the pineal gland, at night time, it stop make, stops making serotonin and it starts making melatonin. Melatonin is a powerful antioxidant, our body's most powerful antioxidant. And melatonin sweeps through the body and clears away all of these free radical cells. So it's perfect. Through cell mitosis, we create free radicals. Our melatonin at night time gets rid of all the free radical cells. Here lies the problem. The pineal gland is light sensitive. It knows it needs to make melatonin at night. So when the pineal gland senses that there's no light present, that it's dark, it starts producing the melatonin. Unfortunately, the pineal gland can't differentiate between mobile phone frequencies, mast frequencies, Wi-Fi frequencies, and light. So if you've got a mobile phone next to your bed, if you've got a mast outside your house, your pineal gland interprets that as it's still daylight. You know, light is the only visible frequency. So your pineal gland thinks, oh, it's still daytime. I don't need to make any melatonin. It's fine. I don't need to make melatonin. It's still light time. But your body is still creating free radical cells through cell mitosis. So you don't have the immunal protection that you should have. It's affecting your body's natural immune system. Fascinating. That's and pretty it, crazy stuff, isn't it? it? It really is. And even though it's information that I was aware of due to the documentary, when I hear you say it again, it gets me every single time because, yeah. again, most of us live in a five-sense reality. So if we can't see it or smell it or touch it or whatever exactly. it might be, we, we, we assume it doesn't exist. But there's yeah. so much more out there. And when you talk about the pineal gland there and how it can, uh, how it can get mixed up so easily, yeah. that, 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 and that really is, is amazing. There's a world of research that shows this. You know, They've looked at the progeny of melatonin in storks that nest on mobile phone mast and they have reduced amounts of melatonin. They've looked at cattle that live around mobile phone mast that have reduced amounts of melatonin. Uh, night shift workers, for example, night shift work is considered to be a, a probable carcinogen by the World Health Organization. Mm. Um, if you do night shift work, you have an increased risk um, of cancer. If you're a woman, you have a 40% increase of breast cancer by working at night. Why? Because you're not creating enough melatonin. It's melatonin that gets rid of the free radicals and it's free radicals that's the cancer-forming cell. So there is a, just a wealth of research that shows that mobile phone frequencies, electromagnetic frequencies, microwave frequencies, non-ionizing radiation can inhibit the production of melatonin. And this stuff is essential to us. It's vital to our immune system. And it brings us full circle, James, back to 
harmony with the planet and harmony yeah. with with our fellow man and even the harmony that you experienced living on the island in Indonesia and yeah. I suppose most obviously then the Schumann resident resonance if that harmony is interrupted in some way well then we're in a spot of bother and these electromagnetic um, artificial frequencies are really creating a huge amount of bother well yeah well do you know what's interesting is when you look at societies the haven't embraced mobile phone technology like we have. For example, in Laos, in um, Nepal, they don't really have mobile phones like we have. They have some of the lowest cancer rates in the world. In the Amish community, they don't have mobile phones. They have the lowest cancer rates on the planet in the Amish community because they don't have mobile phone masks. They're not subjected to this in our society. And one of the problems that we point to in the film is... We're running out of a control group in science. Now, to do any sort of epidemiology study, you have to look at not only people that are using the technology, but people that aren't using the technology. The reason that we knew that, that smoking caused cancer is because there wasn't people smoking. Okay, People didn't smoke. If everybody had smoked, we might not have connected cigarettes and lung cancer. You know, we might have put it down as some environmental or just, just, just some outbreak or just... For whatever reason, people are just starting to get lung cancer. It was only because people didn't smoke. We said, okay, well, these people smoke. They have a 60% increase of heart disease. So smoking is causing heart disease. We're running out of that control group within society. Almost everyone's got a phone. Almost everyone's got Wi-Fi. Almost everyone's got uh, cordless deck phones, wireless printers in their home. So there's virtually nobody that isn't exposed to this. And that, that is a huge issue that we have in science at the minute, is we're running out of that control group. And one thing that strikes me is just, and we've spoken about it already, but the difficulty in limiting your exposure, because it's all very well sticking your phone on speakerphone or, or putting, turning it off yeah. at night or whatever it might be. But when it is, when we're surrounded by it all the time, and so many of us have to work in these kind of environments, and I always notice these masts tend to be on government property, certainly here in Ireland. So if you see a police station or a, a government building, a council office or something, invariably they have a mast attached to them. So if you're somebody who has to work in that environment, it's far from ideal. So is there any other way that people can protect themselves? I know in the documentary there was one one guy in particular who managed to insulate certain rooms of his house against these frequencies and that seemed to help him with his more severe symptoms. Um, it's not practical for everybody, but are there any practical steps that people can make just to limit exposure a little bit more beyond even the mobile phones? Well, it's difficult, isn't it? Especially with Wi-Fi, it's difficult to escape from. If you, um, yeah. if you go up to the um, internet button, wherever that is on your computer and it brings up the Wi-Fi connections, it won't just be your Wi-Fi connection that comes up. It'll be everyone that lives around you. There might be 10, 15, 20. Yeah. So it's almost a cocktail of frequencies that you're living amongst. If you go for a coffee, they've got Wi-Fi. If you go into a hotel, I mean, it's almost everywhere, isn't it? So it's, it's very difficult to escape from it. You're almost subjected to it 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. It's difficult to escape from it. What I've done, what people can do is speak to their neighbours and just say, look, you know, I'm concerned about this. I'd rather not be exposed to it. Um, how about you only put your Wi-Fi on when you need it? Maybe have um, a LAN connection instead of having your Wi-Fi. Yeah. You know? But in the most part, in a working environment, it's, it's very difficult to not be exposed to it. 
So I think awareness is probably the first thing that people need. Um, I mean, if people don't know what's going on, they're certainly not going to try and do anything about it. So the big thing for me and for you, of course, is to try and get this documentary out there because the one thing I'm really struck by with the documentary is how easy you have made it for people to access this information in layman's terms. I mean, the science is all there. It's hard fact, but it's extremely accessible for the common person such as me who has absolutely no scientific knowledge with regard to this so it, it really is a valuable documentary and to be honest it's the type of thing I think should be should be on coursework for schools and that kind of thing but uh, how can people access the documentary what's the best way for people to view it James and hit us up with your website and of course the petition as well to have telecoms companies put warning on the packaging give us all the information so that we can get it up on the website and get it out there to people as much as possible well, if you go onto um, the Facebook site, um, it's Facebook forward slash resonance beings of frequency. You can access the petition on there, and that is we're going to be handing that in in April to global governments and to telecoms companies around the world to ask them to put that warning on the mobile phone packaging. Um, the film, do you know what? At the minute, it's available for free. If you you can watch it on YouTube, you can watch it on Vimeo, whichever player works best for you. If you again, if you just type the name of the film into Google, it'll come up. Next, uh, sorry, towards the middle of this year, we've just signed a distribution deal deal for the film, so it's being shown on streaming platforms around the world. It's going to be released on DVD. Um, we're in communication with TV channels around the world in order for them to be able to broadcast it. So yeah, it, it's 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 definitely getting out there. It's definitely getting getting seen by people. And um, I, I, I share your opinion on it. I, I think as many people as possible need to see it because you need to know the facts. Okay, you need to know the facts in order, and then you can make your own decision. It's like smoking. Yeah. Somebody tells you on your cigarette packet, "Look, this is probably going to kill you," and then you can make your own decision on that. But I think people need to know the health risks so that they can make that decision for themselves because at the minute people are making the decision to use this technology completely unaware that there are any health effects whatsoever from it yeah. you need to give people the information so that they can make their own choices absolutely and what's next for you then james is there a follow-up in the works or are you working on different projects or what's the plan um at the minute i'm halfway through my next film it's called pandemica and it's it's almost an, a, a follow-on from resonance yeah um and it's looking at autism and the, the the growth the prevalence rates of autism how they've increased over the last few years mm -hmm. um 15 20 years ago three in ten thousand children were born with autism the latest statistics released by the center for disease control in america show it's affecting one in 110 it's increasing at around 13 percent a year by 2020 it'll affect around one in ten so one in 10 babies born will be born autistic with some form of autistic spectrum disorder. Um, up until about a year ago, it was believed that the causes of autism were genetic. It was a fault with the genome. It was a fault with the DNA. But an amazing piece of research that's just come out shows that, no, it's not genetic. It's environmental. They did uh, an epidemiology study on, on siblings, on children and siblings and twins that were born autistic. And they showed that 52% of the causal factor for autism is environmental so people children babies the fetus or the mum is being exposed to something that is causing this now there's been all sorts of things suggested over the last year or so um the mmr jab for example 
um, heavy metals that, that the body doesn't seem to be able to get rid of, like mercury, etc. Um, but there's some pretty amazing studies that have come out very, very recently. One of them showed that autism rates increase in prevalence around IT-rich areas. So around cities, around IT-rich areas in Holland, the prevalence rate of autism increases. They showed in America, and this was a fascinating study, they showed that if you live close to a freeway, the risk of autism um, if you live 350 yards away from a freeway, the, the risk of autism increases exponentially. Now, what could cause that traffic, cars, noise? Well, in America, if you ever go over there, about 95% of mobile phone masks are located along freeways. So a, re a piece of research that is about to come out, it hasn't come out yet, but it's about to come out, has shown that if a mum, whilst carrying a baby, uses her mobile phone, the risk of autism increases by something like 80% by, by extensive, by excessive mobile phone use. So the film is looking at all of the research, all of these studies that's connecting autism to the biggest change that life has ever experienced in our environment. And this is absolutely the biggest change that life has ever experienced in our environment. Absolutely fascinating stuff. I only had a conversation um, with a number of people a couple of days ago about autism and people have such differing opinions on it and there is the mainstream yeah. the mainstream view and a lot of people subscribe to that but I mean there, there's so much we don't know about it and that kind of an increase over such a short period of time demands attention and demands that it's looked at in depth and in detail because yeah. I mean pandemic has a great title because we are looking at a future pandemic if we're not already in the midst of it. It's the, it's the fastest growing behavioural disorder in the world. I mean a 13% increase yearly is unbelievable yes okay we've got better at diagnosing this disorder that has to be taken into account but it doesn't explain the the incredible increase in autism you know the, the irony is the mobile phone is just such a great means of communication but in using a mobile phone does it affect our ability to communicate as a species because this is what essentially autism is it affects our ability to communicate it affects one's ability to communicate and it's the the, the science that's showing this right now is just mind-blowing and this was the same with the film with resonance you know we touched on this at the beginning but there's so much science out there john there is so much science out there and the great great shame of this is the only science that people read is the science that seems to be commissioned by a group called the MTHR. Yeah. Now, the MTHR is funded by the mobile phone industry themselves. So they fund this research. And whenever they fund research, we showed some of it in the film and just how badly it's done and how skewed it is and how corrupt it is. But they fund this research and show, look, we've done this research, no ill health effects from mobile phones, mobile phones are safe. And because they have the weight, the might, and the financial muscle of the mobile phone industry behind them, that research is done in layman's terms. It's put in every single newspaper around the world. It's on the news. Look, mobile phones are safe. Fantastic. The independent research overwhelmingly shows and concludes that there is a health effect, that there is an effect. The problem is, is the independent scientists, they're not campaigners. They do this research and they write it as scientists write research, which to 99% of the populace, you can't understand it. It makes absolutely zero sense. Exactly. But to the science community, there is no doubt whatsoever that there is an effect from this. And the question that we need to ask then is, how long can this be allowed to go on? I think the answer from having spoken to you, James, is most definitely it starts with us and it starts with 
our exposure to the knowledge as well as our exposure, of course, to the, the frequencies. Yeah. But it's about knowledge, it's about self-awareness, and it's about us taking back our power. That's exactly what it's about. You know, that's exactly what it's about. Knowledge is power. And if we know, know that there are health effects, we can demand transparency from the telecoms companies because there's so much money in this. And this is what it comes down to at the end of the day, John, is money. We're, talking, we're not talking a few hundred quid. We're talking a trillion-dollar industry here. The 4G network was just sold by the government. And how they can sell air space for frequency is beyond me. But they sold it for billions to the 4G network. There is so much money in this. There's so much money in it from the taxes that they get from the telecoms industry. There's so much money tied up in this. The, the, the very second that somebody says, okay, well, there are health effects, all of a sudden the door opens to tens of thousands of lawsuits around the world. It, it changes everything. And there's a massive financial impact that goes with that. So it's almost like water building up at a dam this is how i see it at the minute that the water's building up and the pressure's building up and building up and building up and inevitably eventually there's something's got to give because the weight of information the weight of research is so overwhelming there has to be a point where the dam bursts and i think that dam bursts with knowledge with the consumer with the population with the people knowing the correct information, knowing the health risks. If we know those health risks, then we, we can start making decisions based on it. And one of the decisions that we can make is, is every single mobile phone shows you the amount of radiation that it emits because not every single mobile phone emits the same radiation. Some are very high, some are very low. Mm. If that information's on the box, on the packaging, the consumer can decide which mobile phone to choose, not just on the quality of the camera, not just on the quality of the screen, but how harmful it is to them. And as soon as consumers start taking that into account when they're buying mobile phones, that's the day when mobile phone manufacturers start lowering the amount of radiation their phones emit. Well, James, the information and indeed the solutions you provide are absolutely invaluable. And thank you for sharing your insight into it, not just through the documentary, but through talking to us here today as well on Alchemy Radio. The information war continues. I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. James Russell, it's been a huge pleasure talking to you today on Alchemy. Thank you for joining me. Thank you ever so much. Thank you for having me. And please go online, watch the film, and please, please, please sign the petition. Alchemy Radio. Danger, danger, I voted 